0: sometimes when you do these podcasts especially when it's somebody that you know that you get surprised um, you know you find out things that you never knew about a person that you would consider a friend uh, and, and, it, and it shocks you and that's exactly what's happened in this episode of the podcast. I've spoken with my good friend, Jimmy Johnson, Professor Jimmy Johnson. He's a Brazilian jiu-jitsu black belt. He is the man that oversees real jiu-jitsu, who I'm heavily involved in. And although we've met numerous times over the years, uh, I live in Plymouth, Jimmy lives in Bournemouth, but we've trained together numerous times over the years. Uh, We are friends, but I didn't know Jimmy's entire backstory until now. And it is a very inspiring, harrowing, and motivational story. So I really wanted to share this with you guys as quickly as I possibly could, because it's an extremely good example of how you can come from the most, um, I don't know what the word is, I'm going to say detrimental, it's not detrimental, The, the harshest background and upbringing, and make a massive massive success of yourself. And not only make a massive success of yourself, but make a massive success of yourself doing something that you love doing. It's an incredible story and it blew me away and I'm very, very excited to share this with you. So guys, sit back, strap yourself in and may I introduce you please to my good friend, Professor Jimmy Johnson.
1: Just a little bit of an introduction then, guys. We've got Jimmy Johnson tonight, um, the uh, black belt jiu-jitsu, head instructor of real gym owner, uh, world champion, uh, (laughs) the list list goes on. So, uh, Jimmy, I'm going to hand it over to you, mate, if you can sort of just give us um, a little bit of background about yourself, um, where you're from, what you do. Take us a little bit. We've already got some points that we've discussed, so if you want to delve into those a little bit, that'd be cool as well. guys. Thanks for having me on. Good to see you both again.
2: Um, yeah, so um, this is my first podcast. I've been asked before to do them, but this is, this is my first one. So yeah, uh, you, you might have to keep me on track. <laughs> um, but um, yeah, so um, I'm kind of like a I'm a Kansas State kid uh, from from Birmingham, with a, from a big family, but the, we're a separated family. Um, we were all put into foster, sort of foster homes and foster care when we were kids. Um, and uh, it was it was tough. We had a, on a really tough estate, um, and the same as a lot of people in in uh, in the cities. It was just a basic. Pretty, I mean, I think it's a pretty normal in city life. And when I talk to people about it, they might think it sat, sat, might sound a bit extreme, but it it was pretty common back then. To be honest, my my dad was in and out of jail. Um, my mother was kind of never there, so we were kind of you know. A load of kids, kind of trying to look after ourselves, and then we would get put into foster care, then we would get brought back, and then we go into homes, and then we'd come back. It was it was crazy for a lot of years, you know. Um, so yeah, so that was pretty much my my uh, my youth up until um, up until the age of sort of uh, fourteen and fifteen, really.
3: Yeah,
1: that sounds um, you know, like it's a that's a fairly tough upbringing, mate. Did you were you scattered around the country in the foster homes, or were you always in the same sort of area? All over, um, right
2: the way up into the Scottish Highlands. Like, Boz is up in, in Oban at the minute, and like, whenever I talk to Boz, at, it's always a nice... So I've got really nice memories of Oban when I was fostered there as a kid. It was probably the, the nicest home that I was in.
3: Yeah. So,
2: uh, yeah, from, from the South Coast to the Scottish Highlands, we kind of were put anywhere that would have us, really.
3: Yeah.
1: I think like, we, we were speaking about um, this with Kieran, one of our guys, last week about... Um, you know how important family is to young, developing adults in sports and stuff like that. And you know, not to have that kind of security behind you that many kids do, it kind of does actually put you at a disadvantage in life. You know, and the fact that you've moved on and done what you've done is that you know it's pretty, pretty amazing, really, mate. Well, yeah, I mean, we see it all the time,
2: and you know, you, with the, with the kids at the gym, that the ones that excel are the ones with a support network there for them. You know the mums and dads that will drive the length and breadth of the country to take them to competitions and and to pay for them to go to the Pan Ams and all that stuff. It's very expensive. It takes a lot of a uh, lot of time and resources. And the, and the parents that put their time in are generally the ones that have the successful kids. You know. So yeah, um, when I was uh, when I was I, the, I because I was from the background that I was like I would fight a lot. And um, when I was when I was about 15 or 16, I, there was no more homes that would have me. You know, I kind of got kicked out of all of the homes. But it was not because I was a nightmare, because it was just a different time. I'm 47 now, so this was a long time ago, and things were very different from the way that they are now. And we all fought back then, you know, it was, you had to fight to survive in these homes and stuff. So, but the problem is like I would get kicked out of a lot and then eventually they wouldn't place me anywhere. So, so at, at that age, I, w- I was living on the streets of Birmingham for some time in like public toilets and train stations and undergrounds and stuff so um so i didn't have a support network and i didn't have a family network and so i'm very proud that i've achieved what i've achieved but i'm never i'm not the sort of guy that sort of stands back and look look what you've achieved from this i'm I'm not that guy at all and I i keep getting told that i should stand back and give myself a pat on the back sometimes but there's always the next thing for me there's always something else to do so i don't stop i just
1: keep driving forward yeah, I like that, mate. That's, um, yeah, like you say, sometimes, you know, it's nice to be, I think for me, it's nice to be told by others that you're doing really well. Like you, sometimes mm-hmm. I'm, I'm like, you, I just want to do the next thing, the next good thing, and keep rolling mm-hmm. forward.
0: Mm-hmm. I, I mean, I'm the same as that. I can really relate to that. But, but go back to what you said just now about the ones that succeed, you know, the people that succeed are the ones with that support network. I think, in a way, what you just said, that, that's a key trait of people that succeed as well. Sometimes to their detriment, right? Because you do, you achieve, you achieve, you achieve, you achieve. And sometimes you achieve these incredible things and you never stop to just like sit with yourself and go, actually, I'm pretty proud of myself for that. You're just like, wait, what's next? And you do and people around you start reining mm-hmm. you in and going, Are you not gonna just take five minutes to acknowledge that you've just done this? And you're like, Yeah, yeah, no, it's great, but we have got another mountain to conquer now. Yeah, know, yeah, yeah, it's not a I don't, it's not a I want to prove myself to the world thing. It just seems like a natural thing, I think. I've just, you know, yeah. being humble. It was great. I worked hard for it. I'm really glad. But, you know, there's lots more to do. I think that is, you know, I, I read a lot of books and listen to a lot of other podcasts of, um, of quite famous and influential people. And, and 99.9% of them all say the same thing. You know, they get these, these great wins and then they're straight onto the next one. You know, yeah. more time to celebrate. Straight on to the next thing.
2: Mm. Yeah, if if I have a good competition and I've got like a week to go and I've performed really well, then I'll maybe allow myself a tiramisu and then I'm straight back <laughs> on. You know, I'm straight back on to, the, to, to to getting ready for the following week. But yeah, I think I think you have to have a balance. I think a lot with some parents they can drive too hard, and yeah. I think there has to be that balance. Kids have got to be allowed to be kids. You know, they've got to have that because their their mental well being and their and their confidence you all not to come from that family unit you know and if if they i think they've got to have that love and that care and that time just to be children and they can then really um depend upon their parents and not just be you know if your dad is only your your coach for example um i think that's a, a real shame i think you missed out on a great opportunity to have a fantastic relationship and loads of great experiences so i tried to tell the parents you know your kid's good and he will achieve great things but you must let him be a kid you know, and some kids now in the UK, wow, man, the level is phenomenal. It's incredible. And they're just getting much, much better and better every, every year that comes along this new batch. But um, you've still got to allow them to be children um, because they'll burn out. They'll burn out. The life's out of balance. I mean, if you look at um, a lot of athletes that are just pure, pure winners, like Michael Schumacher and uh, who, was the, who was the cyclist, uh, the one that got done to Peds, what's his name? Sam Schroeder. Man, I mean, it was all about winning. There was no balance at all. I think you, I think having that balance is important, you know. So you're going to have some nice family time and enjoy time with your kids, and and then and then when you you know if you're an athlete, you go and do your business. You get to get to work once your work's done. You enjoy your
1: life, and but you have got to have a life, I think. Yeah. So, do, you, do you know what? Then? You know that work-life athlete balance, you know, is I've, I've I've realized something during lockdown for me personally that I wasn't having a balance it was always one, one side of the balance and, and every now and again I'd just be burnt out, I'd be ill for a week, wouldn't train because I was trying to train and fit that into my very limited time that I had with my family because all I did was work and concentrate on the business and, and things like that and, and now I've taken a step back a little bit, it, it kind of like, yeah, you've got to have that balance and especially for, for kids, you can't force feed them no. to, to do things, you know. Yeah, I sometimes have to
2: have conversations with the parents about it but uh, usually they understand um, but for me, if I'm, I know when I haven't got that balance right because I'm just not, I'm not content, I'm not happy. You know, mm. when I've got that balance right, then everything's in place and I feel happy. And everything else around me just falls into place if I've got that balance right. So I think it's really important that uh, you enjoy your time with your kids, enjoy your time with your family, enjoy your home time. When I come home, I'm just so relaxed. You know, I love, just, I love being at home. I love getting up in the morning and doing a school run and spending time in the garden with the kids. It's, it's, it's just awesome. You know, it's, I'm so happy here at home. And I think if uh, I think the key to success is, you know, having that having that balance, right?
1: Yeah, no, I agree. Um, yeah, no, I totally agree, mate. So you were you cutting back. We've gone off a little bit off topic there. So we're cutting back to 15 years old. You're on the streets of Birmingham. At what age and when did you start? When did you find BJJ? Was that still later on in life or? Uh, well, I was I, was, I started doing karate from a very young age and
2: the kickboxing. Yeah and. Uh, one time I was in uh, our kickboxing gym and there was a guy that used to train kickboxing with us uh, and he went off and he did to do some grappling. I can't remember what grappling it was, but it was, uh, so we didn't see him for about six or seven months and then he came back and he wasn't a very good kickboxer to be perfectly honest. <laughs> but um, he came back off doing some grappling and for, for some reason the instructor had, uh, had to hump with him and I don't know whether it's because he thought he was trying to sort of peddle his grappling or whatever. And so the, the instructor said, Show me and show me what you've got. And uh, he, he kicked the instructor's ass after just seven months of grappling experience. Um, and I don't know what it was, it might have been judo or something. But um, I was fairly young and I, you know, I wasn't in a position to ask too many questions. But that was kind of my first experience of seeing grappling. But BJJ was, um, was like in 1990, 1991, I think there was. Um, do you remember when the uh well you know as old as me, but the, when the IRA were bombing London, um, back in ninety one, um I was working in South in North London, Golders Green, and um you could hear the bombs from my workplace. I was working in this restaurant um and we had a we had a pot washer who was like half Brazilian, half Italian. And um one night there was like an old cardboard box outside the restaurant and so we couldn't go in there because it was all cordoned off with the bomb squad and stuff and I was going to go home and this kid Nicky said to me let's go back to my place and um, wait for an hour if we come back and see if we can we won't lose the night's wages and I got into his house and there was there was no mats there was no, there was no furniture on the, on the, in the living room you know there was just mats on the floor and I thought it was some weird like sex thing <laughs> he was trying to, trying to bring me into it. It was very dubious and then and then um, he explained to me what it was he was doing, and he just had a few friends over to do BJJ. That was back in 1991, but of course at that time there was there was nowhere to train, and so I would train with Nicky in the afternoons and uh, trying to get as much knowledge off him as I could. And then he went back to um, back to Italy, and um, I was. Uh, i've done some judo then because i found some judo up north we we're much luckier because i've like catches catch can and wrestling clubs and stuff but down south we didn't really have very much and even like back there even playing craze wasn't around at that time so um we uh i kind of went back to kickboxing and boxing and uh done some karate um yeah and then uh i didn't find it again until i was 31. wow so yeah big big uh big gap but um, my first experience was very early on before the UFC. And like when I was, uh, uh, you know, watching UFC 2 for me was the was the one when I saw um, Hoist. But more importantly, actually, I think Remco was kind of my biggest inspiration. Although he was a much bigger guy, he was still very technical. And um, I loved how humble he was and how respectful he was.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And he kind of epitomized everything in the martial arts. I think like. Hoist was great, don't get me wrong, he was awesome, you know. Um, but uh, Remco was my favourite and, uh, w- unfortunately enough that we're good, good friends today, and uh, I was talking to him just, just today, actually. But um, <laughs> he, he, uh, he was my inspiration, really, to start fighting MMA.
3: Yeah,
0: that's awesome. So, I'm just trying to think, I'm going to put myself in your shoes here, back to when I first started, when, when you start, because I'm just trying to think about the way you're saying about how you learn in this guy's house and everything like that. When when did you start learning about competitions and stuff and start thinking you wanted to gear yourself up and test yourself and, you know... Yeah, of-
2: well, well, of course, back then, there was no competitions in the UK. There wasn't, there wasn't any. So oh. it wasn't until, like, in my early 30s that I thought about competing. Um, and sort of... Uh, but for me... The minute that, this, as soon as I was able to train every day, I trained every day. I just loved it, I just loved it. And like, I think for some people, that, that humbling pressure that you feel and that, help, that sense of complete helplessness that you feel when you start, some people just hate it and it puts them off forever. Mm. And it, for me, I just, I, I felt like I, it was like a drug, I had to have it, you know, I, need, I needed it. And uh, I just, I fell in love with Jiu Com- completely and utterly, and then everything else stopped. Like my boxing stopped. My it wasn't when I, when I fought MMA, I would go back to some striking, but all I wanted to do was to get that gear on and train. That's all I wanted to do. And then, then once I started competing, all I wanted to do was compete. Yeah, I fell in love, I fell in love with it straight away. And you know, my kids, uh, all of my kids do jiu jitsu, so the whole house is it's they're completely jiu jitsu. My wife does jiu jitsu now, and so yeah, so it's a uh, I was, like, I was completely hooked right from the very start. And I still, I still feel today, as hooked as I was back then, I'm still as much in awe of it as I was back then. And I still feel as useless as I did back then. You know, I feel like <laughs> every single day, and I feel like I need to improve an area of my game. And uh, I'm constantly working on improvements. Nice. Um, micro improvements, big improvements, different types of guards. The way I approach certain situations, and I, I'm constantly trying to, to to learn more. And it, it, you know, I was always very greedy with my jiu-jitsu. I just wanted it all now, and I kind of learned. It doesn't work like that, you know. You drip for jiu-jitsu, um, to a degree. You you know, you can be responsible for your own development to a uh, to a large degree, um, but we you know, we learn at the pace of the rest of the class mostly. And I just wanted it so much quicker. So, when I wasn't when I wasn't training in the class, I was on the mats at home. I was watching videos. I was reading books. I was talking to guys and trying to befriend people who would show me something, you know, like a, like, just like a junkie, you know, I just needed to get it as much as I can. And the thing is, today I'm the same. Um, even though I know it doesn't work like that, that passion and drive to just get as much Jiu-Jitsu as I can
1: just hasn't changed for me. I'm the same. And it's amazing. It's amazing that you, you know, it's a fantastic sport. That it's been able to keep your um, love for it ignited that whole time. Because naturally, with sports and high level competitions stuff like that you have peaks and troughs, and people fall out of love with it a little bit and right. they step away. But the fact that you've still got that love for it just goes to show what kind of sport it is. Uh, for those people that think about getting into it, you know take it from
3: one yeah, of yeah you know. it's
2: it's amazing it's amazing and i think one of the great things about competition now is like you've got the masters so when you don't compete as an adult anymore you can compete as like an over 30s and an over 40s and and it keeps that competitive drive alive
3: yeah, yeah.
2: you know like regardless of how hard i train i'm not going to be able to keep up with the pace of a of a like a 25 year old black belt that's not going to happen for me now uh, at a high level competition so, um, but I can still hold my own at high level tournaments against former world champions that are my age. So, um, it, I think that's one of the things that really compete that competitive drive of life is that you're, you can be competitive at whatever age you are in jiu jitsu. And I just love that about
1: it. So, you got to jiu jitsu at 31. How old are you now?
0: 47.
1: And how long did it take you to get to black belt? 10 years. Wow. Uh, 11 years.
0: It's, it's something I'm really keen to, to know the answer to, mate. So in the beginning, you have a job and you're training. Then you make that step to train you know, as much as you possibly can. And I'm assuming mm-hmm. at the same time holding down a job, you yeah. through the ranks, learning more and more. When was that point when you made that switch? Because we were talking about work-life balance earlier. When did mm-hmm. you make that switch to effectively work-life integration, where you knew you wanted to do that full-time and earn money from it? build a career from it, a business from it, and do it all day, every day, for the rest of your life?
2: Yeah, that's a good question. I, um, so I went back to college when I was, because um, I left, when I was sort of 16, I couldn't read or write. So I went back to college um, in my 20s and trained as a plumber. And I was, and I was a plumber for many years, and uh, that, was my, that was my job. I was a self-employed plumber. And I loved it. I loved the job. Uh, There was never a day where I just didn't fancy doing it. I always enjoyed it. But of course, like, it's the dream. The dream is to do your passion for a job. I mean, I try not to ask too many questions or look into it too deeply in case someone, you know, in case I fuck it up. But but, It is. It is the dream life. You know, I couldn't want, I couldn't want for more. Mm. Um, But I, um, we, we, I was sort of teaching three days a week in. Um, this was about this was about 2008. I was teaching three days a week in like um, these small sports halls and stuff and church halls and and it was great and we we were we were doing okay. It wasn't very busy, but you know I was really enjoying it and we were getting a little bit of support. And then I moved from the I moved. From, I was in like the Purbeck. the the Purbeck, which is a lovely part of uh, Dorset and then we moved to um, Bournemouth. And I, lost, I pretty much lost all of my students because the commute was too far for them to come. And so I was kind of starting from scratch, really. So I, I said to my wife, let's, you know, let's find somewhere small, we'll just start small, and we'll just find somewhere to, just to do a few classes. And um, she came back and she said, this was like the next day. So I found this great place, perfect, we'll go and see it. And it was like 7,000 square feet, and it was like a full-time lease. And I said, like, I I shat myself, basically. I just couldn't see how we could make it work. But she was so positive and confident that we could. And um, and I wasn't. But I kind of, like, I wanted it to. But I just couldn't see how it was going to work. But um, we went for it. And um, we had a complete standing start. We had no, I mean, most most jujitsu clubs, most martial arts clubs, really, are built on the back of, a coach leaving a team and taking a load of the members and that's him that's his running start you know most clubs are, will start up with 20 or 30 members that came with that coach from the last place that he taught or trained and that's very common now and teams split but we had a complete standing start I, I i got that gym with no members and looking back it was the stupidest thing i could possibly do and and it was such hard work you know it was it was very very difficult but um, you know with a little bit of faith and a lot of graft we we managed to grind it out Um, but yeah that was about 2008 Um, so I managed to kind of I couldn't afford to pay people to run the desk and that sort of stuff so I had to do that myself it was very difficult to try and work and do that and eventually after about six months we just had to take the plunge and we literally sunk everything we had into it um, we sort of kitted it out as best we could with the money that we could afford to spend and um, and went for it. And it for, for the first six years, I won't lie, for the first six years, it was a money pit. It was just tough. You know, we like, I was selling my car and selling my watch and my wife was selling her jewelry and I couldn't take any wage. It was just an absolute grind for about six years. And then suddenly, like one month, my wife said to me, we can afford to pay the bills this month. You know, we haven't, we're not in debt this month. We're not in a deficit. And, and it was a real surprise and a shock. And like after a few more months, I kind of like thought we might actually make a business and a living out of this, you know, rather than just be a really expensive hobby. Um, and I suddenly, after about six years, started to get some real belief that we could build a real great life for, 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 our, for our family and our kids, you know. And it was a great life for our kids because they would come in after school, roll around on the mats, and just play. Do the kids' classes, and then it was a way that I could see them every day, regardless of what time I was working. To they could come in and spend some time with me at the gym. And then, so yes, yeah, so after about six years, it kind of like we just I saw and I had faith that we could make it a real viable business. And then um, it became quite profitable by about seven years. And you ever have the back?
0: It's insane, same, mate. And Am I right in thinking you're more than one gym now?
2: Yeah, yeah, we have three uh, sort of full-time really? gyms, and we have eighteen affiliate gyms. Wow,
0: whoa! So you've really built that then?
2: Yeah, yeah, we, we we're quite busy, and uh, and uh, it's it's gone well. You know, we just uh, it's, it for me, it's like although the graft was hard and the stress was high, as soon as we didn't have any financial worries. Mm-hmm. It's like I'm living a dream day-to-day, you know, and I'm not, I know some people say that, but it's just, I can't imagine, my kids say to me, oh, if you could be anything in the world then, what would you be, you know, they're just little and I I tell them that that what I am now is what I would want to be, what I would always want to be is what I am now and what I have now, I'm very blessed.
1: Yeah, that's awesome. Well, you say blessed, mate, but you come from a disadvantaged background then. um, and and, and climbed out of the gutters let's say and and made it almost uh, made it to the top mate so uh, obviously a whole host of respect for Mark and I on that one and probably most of the guys that train with you and know you probably feel the same way that we do as well
2: but you know it's like the the normal one man's normal is another man's you know weird right I mean like for me like the upbringing that I had was like was perfectly normal I mean I guess it was extreme even for the the area, but it was a tough area that I was brought up in. And there was a lot of people in a lot of very difficult situations. So not having parents there and being hungry and not going to school and not having clothes and just the most basic needs that a kid needs. It wasn't alien to me. It was a normal life for me. You know, of course my kids have got everything they could possibly want and, and, and need and uh, I want to give them every start that I never had. Um, but for me, I, I, I never look back and think, oh, that was me. It was the normal for me. You know, it wasn't difficult at the time because it was the norm. Yeah. Now I'm just blessed. I feel blessed anyway. But yeah, I mean, it's been hard work, but I feel blessed.
0: Do you think, you know, when you opened the gym and, and you are struggling, do you think that drove you on because you've, you came from such a difficult upbringing? Kind of, I guess... Building that gym didn't really seem that... I mean, it was hard, obviously. Was a lot of grab Compared to growing mm. up, you, you, did you ever go and think, ain't that bad, I've got food in my belly and a roof on my head. We just got to work. Mm. Yeah.
2: Yeah, I think it may be strong and I think it may be very, very tenacious. I think, like, living on the streets is really difficult. Like, a lot of people think that um, they're bums and they just live on the streets because they want to be bums. And I'm sure there are some that do. But if you're not a junkie or bum and you generally have got no, and you're a kid and you're living on the streets, it's very difficult. It's it's hard. You've got to find food. You've got to find safety. You've got to stay warm. You've got to stay dry. All of these things take time and planning. And it is very stressful being on the streets. And there's like there are predators out there when you're a young person on the street that will try and take advantage of you. You know, you've got to be... Um, You've got to be really disciplined. I mean, I know that sounds weird because I lived on the streets, and I didn't have a job, but um, it wasn't just a case of sitting on a park bench and standing all day. I was a young, I was a young man. I wasn't a junkie or an alky or anything like that. I just literally had no other options. Mm. I had no family, I had no money. The hospital wouldn't take me because I've I've been co- I've been in trouble for fighting and all of them. So I had no I had no further options. So. I, I, it made me disciplined. It made me tenacious, and it I suppose it gave me some drive. But the problem is, like, you can't magic money. You know, you can magic effort, and what you can you can force work ethic, and effort, and and time. But you can't create money out of nothing. So it was still incredibly stressful because you just didn't have the money. That was the hard thing. I didn't care about the work. I didn't care about that. Having the constant financial worry when we were building the gym was was very uh, draining, but yeah. But I guess it would definitely would help because uh, it made me disciplined. It made me tough for sure.
3: Yeah, well, yeah.
1: Yeah. I don't know what to say to that, mate. I'm I'm just, I didn't, I I knew, I know relatively well, but I didn't know that much about you. So uh, obviously,
2: I'm a a much better listener than I'm a talker. And like people have asked me to come on podcast before, and I've said I've, I've said no because i i don 't particularly think that i'm very interesting and uh and I, and i'm not the best talker but i'm a very good listener like one of them, the best skills that I've, I've ever had, and I think I've got it naturally was to listen you know I think you can learn so much just by listening to people i couldn 't read or write as a kid, but I knew how to communicate with people and I knew how to get the best out of a situation and I knew how to if I wanted to learn a skill, watch people that do that skill and copy what they 're doing so I was always very good at listening it was a skill that has helped me good stead
1: throughout my
3: whole life. Yeah, but no. talking not so much. No, mate, no, I love it, mate. Honestly, it's
1: brilliant. Keep talking about. I'm just enjoying it genuinely. I'm <laughs> enjoying it. So, like, we. I just want to get onto sort of like the, the the competition side of things. We've had a real great insight into your life, there, mate. And i obviously I really appreciate you choosing Mark and I to share that with. Um, I'm pretty sure you probably don't share that with just everybody, but most of the world will now get a chance to see you. <laughs> And who you are, so it's pretty amazing. I just want to get onto sort of like the, the high level competing in BJJ. Mm-hmm. So I want to talk through your typical training days. Like what you probably now technically classified as a professional athlete, I imagine, because of the, yeah, like, I so. the competitions you do and the training level, mm-hmm. the volume that you do. So I want to talk about like what's your tra- daily routine for training? How do you mentally prepare for a fight? Do you have any sort of like coping strategies that you use to sort of the mm-hmm. nerves? Because In your sport, it's you on your own versus someone else. You can't, in a team sport, rely on 14 other guys in rugby to sort of help and drag you up through. So, you know, just talk us through, like, little bits about that, really.
2: Yeah, sure. I think if I was in a team sport, I I think I'd be so much more worried about letting the rest of the team down because (laughs) when it's me, it's just me. But I think... um... So my normal like a normal day for me would be like I I do this I uh, get up and um, I, we have breakfast with the kids and then I will do the school run and then I go straight from the school to the gym and um, my friend Trevor comes in Trevor Chamberlain and we talk shit for a while and then we drink some coffee then we get on the mat and do some drills and do some training and then about lunchtime I'll lift weights um, depending on uh, where I am in the season and where my next tournament is will depend on whether I'm lifting heavyweights or just like maintenance because I think it's one of the difficult things about the you've got you've got to try to plan your season as best as you can because some guys like let's say for example I'm competing in uh, the Pan Ams you have a guy that's been preparing for 12 months for that tournament that hasn't competed in another tournament and he's put everything he's got into one tournament but I might have competed every weekend for the last four weekends so my cardio is not going to be on point because you can't push yourself so hard mid-season. But that guy's peaked at just the right time, so it can be difficult, and you never quite know what you're going to face. But you know, um, but I will lift. I lift weights. Then again, depending on when when I'm competing next, will depend on whether they're heavy weights or whether I'm just maintaining. And I do a little bit of cardio sort of mid-afternoon. I do the school run at the, in in um, in the evening when my missus and we take the kids to we take the kids to the gym and um training the kids a little bit play with the kids and then we have like um some grappling in the uh, about six o'clock we spar we roll and then i go off and do i teach my sessions. so uh, i've started teaching a few private classes lately which I've, I've not done for a long time um i never really enjoyed it if i'm honest teaching private classes but i've really started enjoying it lately so i've got uh, three or four clients that i that i teach and i'm so I donate a little bit of time. I give a bit of time to those guys. Yeah. Um, but yeah, that's kind of it. I'll teach my evening class and we, we roll in the class and stuff. And then, of course, there are days where um, we, me and a few other black belts, we get together and we just go hard. We roll really, really hard. But again, mid-season is difficult. Finding that balance of maintaining what you have, not losing your cardio, but not tiring yourself out too much for the next tournament is a tough balance. Especially if you're carrying a niggle or an injury, you need to stay mobile and active because if you don't mid-season, your weight can go all over the place and you've got to maintain that weight, you know? Because the last thing you want to be worrying about with all the other things that you've got to worry about is not is being heavy on the, on the scales, you know? Yeah. yeah. I think, um, too, too many people place too much emphasis on that weight. But I think if you're a professional, that should be the, the, the smallest thing on your mind. I think making weight,
1: it's something that you must do as a professional, regardless. It shouldn't be in question. Nutrition is the bottom of that pyramid, isn't it? It's the bottom of that pyramid. Your nutrition. Let's face it. In athletes now, in professional sport, nutrition is pr- pretty, pretty, it's pretty done. There's yeah. no one doing something different on the nutrition front that's going to make you better than them, unless you're cheating with pets. So nutrition, yeah. is like you like, right? As a basic level, as a professional athlete, it's the basic part of it. All. Mm. yeah definitely and the, the
2: the nutrition stuff is yeah it's it's right at the bottom of that pyramid as you say but too many people worry too much about their weight and it shouldn't be a worry if you're disciplined it should be all right if yes. you're disciplined it should be okay yeah uh so yeah so i am but again depending on whether you're, i'm carrying a, a little bit of an injury and i was carrying a knee injury and i had to have surgery mid-season yeah it, i found it difficult to kind of like uh I found it difficult to to, to train too hard because I had to focus a bit more on maintaining the weight um, and not aggravating my knee. So there's so many things to consider. But like, if at the moment I feel great, I've got no injuries. I'm um, I could I what uh, it's Monday today. I, I'm on, I'm on weight. I could compete on the weekend if if I needed to. You know, I could make weight comfortable the weekend. So I'm on weight. I feel great. I've got no injuries. I, I just I'm absolutely chomping at the bit to get back out there and compete. Yeah. Um, so really, the nutrition and the weight side, really get, you get into a rhythm and a routine. It's pretty straightforward. Um, the you but you've got to be so you've got to listen to your body. You got to know. Um, you got to know what your weight is every day. You got to know um, if you can work around your injuries. Whether I'm maintaining, whether I'm driving, depending on competing the week coming or the weekend after will depend on how hard I push myself because I've got a little bit like a little bit extra rest time. Um, as far as like mentally prepared, I think I'm a bit different to a lot of people because um, we had like, a, we were talking to this lady the other day who's like a, a sports therapist, a hypnotherapist, you know? Yes. And she was talking about some techniques to some of our students, and it was some of the stuff she was saying was very interesting, and a lot of it I've used naturally over the years. That has been beneficial to me. On the day of the tournament, I don't feel too nervous. I feel pretty pretty good and i think if you've trained properly and trained well um your confidence is going to be high you know if you feel ready you're probably ready you're gonna you know you know if you've trained you know that if you've you've watched these standards and you probably could have made train if you didn't that you probably are not going to feel great on comp day um so no so i I'm quite, I'm quite disciplined with my training. I will, I will make sure that I'm, I'm on the mat when I'm supposed to be on the mat. I don't miss sessions. I don't miss rounds. I try to do all the things I should do. So I generally feel pretty confident on fight day um, and excited. I really want to... When I walk into the arena and the smell and the noise and the testosterone... And I love it. I mean, I really, really love it. The, like, when you go to the big tournaments like the Worlds and the Pans and the Euros and stuff, it's just, it's an incredible experience. And once you've done it, like, the minute I come off the mat in the Euros, I've, I was like, I've got to start preparing for next year. You know, I just loved it. And um, so, yeah, so for me, fight days is, is really enjoyable. I really love the fight. I really enjoy it. I just want to not let myself down doing anything stupid. I had like, I've been, I had like I got guillotined when I was a brown belt by by rushing in. You know, I made a stupid mistake and I rushed in, and uh, it still keeps me awake at night. We again we learn from our experiences, right? So as long as I don't um, do anything stupid and I can implement my game, I'm confident that I'm going to have a good result, and I feel great. I love it. I even Matt side when I most of the people are stood there shitting themselves. I, have, I feel like I'm on fire uh, I feel electric I love it um, for me the difficult period is the two or three days before if I'm abroad like when I was at in fact my best I think probably my best performance of the season was at the New York open and actually when I, after I spoke to you about my glycogen levels and I think I felt really confident on the day because I, I just felt really strong that was
1: that was a big we have- I think we did a little bit of training together, didn't we? We we spoke yeah. about carbohydrates, and mm. you, you were showing me your average day diet, and yeah. carbs aren't your enemy; they're actually your friend. And like you say, yeah. maintaining the weight, you've increased the carbs, so your energy levels mm. are just yeah, like you yeah. say, through the roof. And that's um, that's a big thing when I'm you know I'm, you know 150 grams a day for healthy brain function of carbohydrates. Mm. Yeah, I know. Athletes. I felt great mentally, yeah. physically. I felt good. I felt strong. I felt powerful.
2: I felt I loved it. I, that, I, that was a big That was a big turning point, actually. Although I, I don't quite well in the season so far up until then, I think that was a turning point that really focused on, like simple things like carbohydrates. I wasn't taking enough carbohydrates. And so taking more was a big turning point. Um, but going back to the New York Open, I think the two or three days before that in New York was really tough for me. And I always struggled two or three days before. And I don't know whether it's, Because I don't think it's because I don't want to embarrass myself in front of my students. And of course, this is something that I think holds a lot of black belts back from competing because they don't want to get humbled in front of their students, which I think is a shame because I think there's huge benefits to competing. It it, it improves your game in so many ways. And it really improves you as a coach because you've got all of that extra experience that you can pass on to your students and, and carry them through these difficult times like in the, the physical mental struggles throughout that, throughout that competition because competition could last you know a, a long time like, like 11, 12 matches in a day you know it, okay. it can be tough and you're, you, you've got to really help your students sometimes get through those experiences and having all that extra experience I think is really beneficial but you know, you know a, lot of, a lot of guys don't I, I, I do compete I enjoy competing I think everyone if they can should um, but I think um, it wasn't because of that, it wasn't because I know my students and I think if, if someone, if I'm that worried about my students not respecting me if I lose, then I'm, I've got the wrong students, you know, or they've got the wrong coach. Um, I think like having the respect of my peers is, is, is important to me because obviously I've got huge respect for the pioneers of jiu-jitsu and when you go to these big tournaments, they're all there. They're all there watching. I think for me, I just want to put in a good performance. You know, I want to put in a good performance. So, like, for those three days before, I phone home a lot. I try to relax a lot. I try to keep my heart rate down. I find myself visualising a lot. and But it's usually in a positive way. But uh, visualisation is great if you can just make sure you keep your heart rate down because sometimes you just kept, you can find yourself exhausted after 10 minutes of it. Um. And so um, I walked 50,000 steps a day in in New York every day, just pacing the pound in the pavements just to keep busy and stay active and uh, doing some rowing and stuff just to make sure I was on weight. Um, But yeah, I mean, I I think uh, I I have some kind of like, uh, I have a few key words that I use to, to, when I, I talk to myself and I kind of try to meditate a little bit, very mild meditation. I'm not, I've never been big into anything like that. But just to try to relax myself and, 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 and just give myself a bit of a talking to. Um, I try to convince myself that I've done everything that I could. I've prepared in the best way that I know. Um, and you're going to go out there and you're going to do what you're going to do. And it's going to be what it's going to be. But, but, and, and the following day, everything's going to be fine. Hmm. Um, but I, I, I battled with it a little bit, two or three days before. Which is kind of like the opposite. Usually people are really confident two or three days before. And on the day, they're crapping it. So it's like yeah. the opposite for me. And I don't know why. But I am going to try and work on it. Because sometimes I think it could be a little bit tiring. And you can find yourself feeling a little bit heavy. You know, and a little bit leggy on the day. But now I feel um, on the actual day, I love it. I love the noise and the, the, the crowd and all my friends there and seeing the people I only see at tournaments and we talk and we know we're gonna um, fight but we you know it's just I love it mate I just love it I love everything about it I really do
0: how did you get on in New York I won it nice nice (laughs) so it works then the system works well you know
2: I think um I It gave me a lot more confidence to, to, drive, to, to drive the pace, to push the pace, because I felt that in power. Sometimes when you feel a bit leggy, you, just can, you, know, you can get into the mindset, do what you do, if you make a mistake, punish him. But I was forcing the mistakes in New York, and I made all of my opponents, and um, I, was, uh, I was jumping up and down in, in the bullpen. I must have looked quite intimidating. I, that, that's not why I, why I was doing it. I just felt great, and it was the first, the first tournament of the season that I really focused on getting my carbs right. And that's again thanks to Ben giving me that great advice, and it, it made a huge difference and a huge impact. And I was eating like chocolate cookies and all the stuff that I'm not allowed to eat in between matches. So I was just feeling, I was feeling great. Mate,
0: I've so last year I was, you know, we're friends on Facebook, and, mm. and I watched you fly all around the world. I couldn't keep up with you. And I, th- I thought I'd a lot and I'm like, where is he now? Where is he now? Just watching this plane on Facebook or everywhere. It's insane, mate, the, the level that you maintain um, for competing and, you know, pushing yourself. In all those years, in all those competitions, in all those countries, what has been so far your career highlight?
3: Hmm.
2: But so my career highlight in terms of like competing, and my career highlight as like in jiu-jitsu I think are different. Okay. I think like in jiu like watching my son become a cage Warriors champion, that was uh, great for me. Mm-hmm. He's been training since he was three or four. He's nineteen now. That was a very emotional day. He uh, was. It was awesome. It was great. Um, I love watching my students compete and helping them through that. That's that's. So inspiring for me to watch them do it, you know, because I know how much they're shitting it, and they still do it.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah. You know, someone posted on the other, someone posted uh, it might have even one of you guys <clears throat> on Instagram the other day um, that like courage is not being afraid; it's being afraid and, and doing it anyway, right? Yeah. And I think uh, the guys that just I know are struggling mentally to, to deal with that, and they do it. It's so inspiring. So that I get so much out of watching my students compete. I love it. Um, I think in terms of competition, um, competing for the r and BJJ for the first time was really good. I really loved that. We had a great experience. Me, Ruben, Dowdy, Jim Bob, um, Jay and a few of the other guys, um, went out to Paris and competed in the, and then in the Naga European Championships in 2017. That was a great trip. Uh, and you can imagine what it was like. It was awesome. It's not like a regular, uh, training trip, but it was we uh, really made great memories, and we still got the Facebook group, uh, the WhatsApp group going from that that day that we created it in Paris, and it's still active every day. Right. We made, some, made some great friends that day that are still going to be we're still friend, We're going to be friends for life. I know it. So you yeah. compete at the for RMBJJ for the Marines in the Europeans was brilliant. I managed to win it fortunately, and um and the lads all did well too. And uh, that was that was amazing. I think um, my best performance was New York, mm-hmm. um, New York Open. And whenever I think of New York, I always think of you, Ben, because of that great advice you gave me.
3: Yeah.
2: Because um, that kind of it made a big change for me. Um, I won. I went out to Atlanta in two thousand and oh, I was a brown belt and competing in the brown and black combined. And um, two thousand and thirteen, I think, and. I fought three divisions I fought middleweight ultra heavy because there was an ultra heavy that didn't have an opponent he was 288 pound wow and I fought heavy
3: right
2: and I took triple gold that day after <laughs> like 13 matches or 14 matches so that was uh, for me that was a great day and I I, I remember like I'm not um, I'm usually quite uh, calm and I'm quite reserved usually I really, I really enjoyed that, and I really enjoyed the night. You know, what I mean, I, I went to town on it. I loved it, and uh and had a great time there in, in Atlanta. And uh, I'm looking forward to going back there. But it's um, that was a great experience for me because it kind of like, it showed me for the first time where I'm at. You know, competing against a, a high level guys and where I'm at, and that that was that was a great experience. So that was good. But yeah, we've had some real good experiences. You know, probably my best performance was because New York, Europeans this year, 2020 was fantastic. Again, the experience was awesome. The atmosphere was phenomenal. Um, I had a tough division this year. There was like, the world number one was in my division. The world number three was in my division. It was tough. And um, I lost out in the seventies to to world number one. We had a really good match, but I beat some top guys. So, again, for me, it's about having a good performance. I don't fear losing at all.
3: Yeah. I
2: don't want to lose. I want to win. But, like, if I can come away and have a good performance and lose, I'm happy with that. I could, I'll phone home and my wife will know that I'm, com- I'm content with what's happened, you know, or would have learned something or maybe, um, you know, I've improved in some way in that match and I'll take that from it. I'll take the positives from it. If I've had a great tear-up with someone but I've lost out, then I'm, I'm satisfied with that. Um, so yeah so the Europeans was a good experience for me. I love that as well Mexico City was awesome um, I managed to take double gold there but like for me the city was awesome I really enjoyed the place
3: yeah. some place
2: you go to it's like really easy to, to keep on weight because the food's so shit <laughs> so go to, New York go to like, <laughs> if you go to the Manila Open right some of the shit they eat there is just you just wouldn't feed it to your dog I love, I love the Philippines. I've spent like over a year there. I, lo- I love it. I've trained a lot in the Philippines. Um, but the food's just awful. So it's really easy to make weight. When you go somewhere like Mexico, where the food, everywhere you go, the food's just phenomenal. It's, it's tough. But I had a great experience there. I loved the city, loved the place, loved the people. I heard loads of bad stuff about it, so I was a bit worried. But actually, I had a great experience there. So I loved it. Oh, Moscow was good as well. Because there's this, there's this Chechenian guy I forget his name now. i have to message him and apologize. And like, we'd already fought twice that season. And I, I knew that he was going to get to the final. He was tough, mate. He was like he was made of stone. And we had a really tough battle in our first match and he beat me. And we had a really, really tough battle in, my, in our second match and I beat him. And I was, I wanted to fight him again. And, I, and if I did, I knew it was going to be tough, you know. So um, and I, I managed to fight him in the final and I managed to beat him. And we had an absolute war, you know. Uh, so that was great. And my wife came with me to to Moscow as well. So that was awesome. We had a really nice little trip, and um, and I and I really enjoyed getting the better of him again. Yeah. That
1: yeah. To, to one now. Couple couple of points I want to go back to are because you've given us your career some career highlights, which is obviously absolutely incredible because you haven't got one. You've got more than a dozen, which is just goes. I'm not.
2: Stuff that i you know, I, I feel
1: like to go back to, like, your experiences as a coaches and how you kind of, like, how you almost feel, the you know, when your guys are competing and you feel as proud and as excited for them as they're about to compete, as you do about mm. to and We've said this, I don't know how many times and how many podcasts we've sort of reiterated this point and it's hang around with those people that are happy for you when you're mm-hmm. doing something. Like, do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? When you're about to step on that cage, or you know, you're about to step in that, into your first PJ, mm-hmm. match, when your coach is behind you, and he's as excited as you are, and as happy for you as you are for yourself, that's the, you know, that's the kind of people that Mark and I always say that we, we kind of hang around with, and it's just an amazing quality and a human to be able to mm-hmm. be happy for someone else doing something well. Mm-hmm. Because too many people in this world are jealous of you because yeah. you've done better than them because they ain't willing to put the work in or, or, or something like that. So mm. that for me, mate, is, is a trait from, obviously that's, that's amazing that, to hear that and that was the first thing mm. that you said before you even went into the fighting. So that's you know, yeah. something that I always think is um, uh, a great trait in a human. Mm-hmm. And the second point I wanted to go back to is, um we're talking about elite athletes and you are an elite athlete you're up there in the world and um, we'll get on to where you are ranked at some point i'm sure in the future of this podcast but i wanted to talk to you when you said you went you got guillotine because you rushed in and it eats you up inside now i was talking we we're talking to kieran last week and he was saying about the the elite level guys that play international rugby they've had a setback or something like that in their career that they can use and reserve do you ever like in the middle of a competition do you ever? think back to that guillotine and just does it slow you down you use that sort of like negative into a positive that makes sense
2: um i i use it uh, i use it as a positive like in training and uh like i'll i'll almost put myself there a lot to see just to see how just how much i can give you know like myself it's about risk and reward you know how much can you risk for the reward and is the the reward worth the risk and you got to get that balance right and sometimes you can't risk anything because you don't need to, or you don't need to, maybe you're up on points and, and uh, all I need to do is just see out the round or maybe I'm down on points and with 30 seconds, like, I've got to risk everything. But yeah. I play in those ranges of risk and reward. Yeah. So I'll get guillotined in class you know, several times um, because I'm over-risking, and, but we have to push ourselves to, to see just what we've got and what we can take. So I'll use it as a positive from that perspective. Yeah. Um, I don't use it in the match because in the match, I'm so focused on the here and now and what, on what's going on. I've I've had like two, I would say two negative experiences in jujitsu. And I, again, there the are positive experiences. The first one was my first ever match as a black belt. I really wasn't ready. I wasn't in shape. I was carrying a really bad knee injury. Um, but people, I heard, I'd heard people say, just get it done. Just get it done. You know your first one's gonna be stressful, get out of the way, and it'll be done and I did. I just took a no time limit match um and I got submitted in like two two and a half minutes or something, and I hated it I hated it I vowed from that moment I would never fight, not in shape again yeah never. and and I and so again, it's a positive because like I've made sure that when I've competed, I've trained properly and if i if I wasn't ready or the, I knew that I wasn't going to be able to be really, I wouldn't compete. You know, I wouldn't put myself out there to, to lose. I don't mind losing, but I need to put in a good performance. You know, if, if I'm able to com- compete with these guys, I will. If for whatever reason I'm not, whether it be because I can't prep or because I've got an injury, I won't put myself out there because there's nothing positive to be gained from getting your ass kicked. There's lots of positive to be gained from having a great match. And losing there's loads of positives you can take from that going out there not performing not competing and getting your ass kicked there's nothing positive to take from that um and the other one was um so the first one was um yeah in bristol with um don't get me wrong the guy was awesome and he i'm confident he would have beat me anyway but like i said i don't mind losing i just want to put in a performance and i didn't and the other one was um when I was at Bramble, that guillotine, and that was David Lee guillotine me, and like, we were kind of standing up, and we were kind of hesitant, and it was a no-gee match, and nothing kind of happened for the first little minute and a half, around, and I just dove in for a double, and he caught me with a fantastic game. Dave's a great competitor again. Please don't think I'm taking anything away from him. I've got huge respect for both, both guys, huge respect. Um, but it was about me. It wasn't about them. It was about me making a mistake, me learning from that mistake, and so, and I do. Like I learn from my mistakes all the time. I learn from those two so well. I could probably repeat them perfectly, but I try not to. Yeah. And I do, uh, you know, I try to uh, learn all the time. And those are the two things that I look back and I'm like, Fucking moron! Why did you do that? But um again, it's a positive because I've I've learned so much from it.
1: And, and also, you got you know you've got to have these setbacks to learn and take a step back yeah. and go forward again. You know, if you always. Yeah, learning- if You win everything all the time. At some point, you're gonna lose, and you, know, you don't know how to deal with it, do you? You know what I mean? Losing, and, losing, like you say, is a very big part of becoming a, a high level elite athlete.
2: Yeah. It's like the
1: first thing you learn in jiu jitsu is how to get your ass kicked. It's the
2: first yeah. thing. Yeah. If you've got no humility, jiu jitsu isn't a sport for you. Yeah, it's uh, you know, I, I'm not sure that you can learn your humility. I think you have to have a certain amount, I think you have to have some ego in jujitsu as well because if you didn't have any ego you'd be a lettuce on the, on the mat do you know what I mean you want to you want to <laughs> be uh, you want to impart your, your will against somebody else you need to have a certain amount of ego but you do need to have some amount of uh, humility especially in training so yeah so those two experiences were hugely beneficial and I'm extremely grateful for them but they do sometimes keep me awake at night
1: <laughs> <laughs> good though keep humble <laughs> like it <laughs> We were so we're talking about world rankings and that you fought like you fought the number one recently. So last season was a good season for you, if I remember correctly. You went from well, I'll let you explain. You went from in the hundreds into the top. Yeah, I was in the hundreds because I didn't compete the season before. The season, the ranking
2: points go on from the previous year. The, the way that the IBJF have done the rankings, it's a, it can be a bit confusing. But like I started the season, I think like three hundredth or something. Um. And before the lockdown, I think I was like in between fifteen and ten or something like that. But the way that the rankings work, like because they carry over two years, if a guy that competed last year doesn't compete in the same tournament this year, those those points come off his score. So people are losing points as you're gaining points, so you can move a lot. Mm. So I think I think I was a, around ten. Amazing. That's um.
1: That's,
2: yeah, yeah. I was disappointed because like I really. I was really confident. We had like a a few tournaments to go, like eight tournaments to go or something. Um, and I was signed up for all of them, and I was you know ready to finish the season strong and i put in a good finish. And this this COVID stuff has uh, put play to that, unfortunately. But I'm hoping that I'm hoping that when all this craziness is finished, that we'll 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 complete the season. You know, it's important for, like, it's no different to any other sport. We want to finish what we started as competitors. We want to finish the season trying to find our best place possible um, and finish the tournament. So, hopefully, the WJJF will do that and allow us to to, to find our place in the rankings as, as, as we should have been. And then we can start the following season.
1: Okay. Well, we obviously wish you all the best of luck and, and um, I do, I follow you personally on Instagram and Facebook and that. And when I see those pictures of you with more gold medals, every week it was at one point, I was just like, is there anything this man can't do? Yeah. Um, <laughs> how, how, another question about, obviously, you compete all around the world and you do a lot of flying. Now, flying has its negative effects on the human body because you're sat down, you're jet-lad, you're moving from time. to How far in advance before a competition do you get to your location to either climatize or just get your body caught? Mm. Got a set yeah, good for that? try to have but again it's like
2: it depends if i'm competing the week before so like if like one week end i might be in uh new orleans and then the following weekend i've got to be in australia like um so uh, you know so i've got to literally finish the tournament grab a stuff get to the airport and fly um but like in a big tournament i try to be a bit more organized than that like normally i'll go from tournament to tournament if it's in europe i'll come back for a couple of days If um, if it's a big tournament, then I'll try to get minimum of one hour per, uh, one day per hour time difference. So if the time difference is twelve hours, and I'll try to be there twelve days before. If I can get one day per hour time difference, then I can kind of be ready, acclimatized, and ready to go on, on flight day.
0: Cool, nice. Is that pretty standard? Is it? I've never heard that before. I think so. Works for me. <laughs> <laughs> I'm about shot myself.
3: Yeah,
2: there you go. Yeah, it's kind of like uh, I know, like uh, uh, some of the uh, I know a few Olympians that kind of have uh, used that method, and uh, it's worked for them, and it works for me. For, so for a big tournament, I'll try and get out there uh, one day per hour time difference, and then I will feel great on Friday. Then I'm able to train, acclimatise to the weather, acclimatise to the altitude, and get used to the food, and and just sort of uh, keep getting my weight right, and, and get my body clock in in the right place, and. Yeah, that works for
1: me. Yeah, nice, mate. Nice. Um, so, what's so the plans for the business and your your fighting career? So, obviously, you're gonna the plans are trying to get to number one, are they? Is that the, is that the yeah, goal?
2: Um, my, I set myself a goal of the top five, um, which was like starting at three hundred was probably ambitious, but like I was gonna give it everything. Yeah, I decided, uh, I, I decided I would put everything that I could into the season. I was unfortunate that I got. That knee injury, and I had to have surgery, and I was like two months out in the middle of the season. I think, were it not for that, I would have achieved my goal some time ago. Yeah, um, I'm pretty confident I would have. Um, but I was, uh, I came back pretty quick. You know, I think I had my surgery in end of October, and I was competing first weekend in December. So I was back on the mat pretty quick. Um. So, so but my goals now, I want to keep on competing as much as I can. I um, want to win the world, Masters. I mean, that's a big one for me. Uh, I'm keen to get back to the Euros and do that again. Um, we've uh, we started a, like a, an affiliation, if you like, called Warwolf BJJ, which um, we have several affiliates, um, which is great. That's been really good. Um, and it's basically just a like-minded people in Jiu-Jitsu that, Want to support one another with training, uh, competitions, and whatever. We just go cross train with other like gyms, and it's been a really nice alliance that we've built. Um, and it's been hugely beneficial for a lot of us with our cross training for our fights and stuff. It's been really great. Um, so I want to continue to work with that. My wife's starting a gy brand. Uh, started a key brand, and she's kind of like she's really focused on that. Um, we're doing um a, one of my closest. My Ashton died recently and um before he died he, he, right up until the day he died he was kind of talking about stuff we could do and um he wants we, we were talking uh, this was martin's idea about an invitational and to have to find the the, the best teenager in the world um and so we were going to have like a like a 10 kilo a 10 kilo weight limit like between for example 65 and 75 Seventy-five and eighty-five, and an invitation of sixteen kids. Uh, sorry, in Europe, the best teenager in Europe, and uh, we found a sponsor to put up a load of money to to make it a, like a really nice, like I think it's like fifteen hundred quid first prize, and a sponsorship deal, all your competitions paid for the year, and it was some really nice prizes in there. And uh, so I'm gonna I'm gonna do that. I'm gonna do that as soon as I'm able to get back to the gym properly we're going to get that underway because at the moment it's everything's hypothetical until people are back training. It's difficult to really make solid plans, um, but not, I mean, the, the thing is with invitationals, really, is it's very, very difficult to make money. I mean, people don't really make money. That's the labor of love. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's mostly a money pit, you know, it costs a fortune to put on. People don't come and watch them and you get a pittance for the pay-per-view. So really, uh, that's something as a label of love and I'm gonna do that and dedicate that to my, my good friend, Martin, so I'm looking forward to that. Uh, we've got another tournament called Super 5 Pro that um, we do like um, tournaments for only white belts. So it's five five man, open weight stuff. And it's, um, that's really good. I really enjoy doing that. Um, so we're gonna do more of those. We have like a white belt, blue belt, purple belt, brown belt, and then we're gonna do black belts, um, Next year as well, so that's going to be great. Um, I want to continue to do those. I'm not looking to open up any more gyms really. Um, I've kind of got my life to a point where I'm extremely happy with the time that I have and what I can ded- to dedicate to the important things in my life. You know, so I'm not really looking to get busier. Um, I'm looking to kind of like, um, if anything, make my life a little bit easier, but. Uh, just to continue spending time on the things that are important to me, which you know, which is kind of what I've said. You know, I said earlier about like making sure I've got that family life balance right, and having uh, having time to enjoy jujitsu. Because before anything, I'm a Jiu-Jitsu player. Before a competitor or a business owner or a coach, I'm just a guy that loves jujitsu. Yeah, I think like you've got to have that love and that passion for jujitsu, and you've got to have that enjoyment. And if that ceases, nothing else will be right. Yeah, so, like, yeah. I want to have the time to enjoy that, you know, that time with my friends, um, my buddies and my teammates and my students. So, just I mean, go and enjoy. <laughs>
1: I think mean, it's easy sometimes to get blurred lines between what you love and you do. And if you're doing it for a living, which is, like, I get to do what I love for a living, and that's training and nutrition and stuff like that. It's um, Sometimes you can push it too far one way, can't you? You know what I mean? It's like yourself that perfect balance in life. And no matter what you do, really, is, 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 is kind of key. Um, it can be
2: easy, I think, to create a nightmare for yourself. You know, you you you've got the opportunity of having a dream life, and you can turn that dream into a nightmare pretty easily just by getting that balance
3: yeah.
2: wrong. And yeah, I think you have to ask yourself, like, what it, what it is you're doing and why you're doing it. And you know, I'm a, I, I I fell in love with jujitsu, like I said, from the very first moment, and I still have that love for it now. And if that changed, I would have to make some big changes in my life to get that back right. before I could move forward in any aspects of it. Yeah, because everything that I do in life involves jujitsu. Yeah. Everything. I'm like, it's so ingrained in me that if you took jujitsu away from me, I don't know if you'd even recognise me. Or if I would recognise myself. Yeah. So if, so if that if I didn't have that love for it, I'd have to make some serious changes to find that love back. Or nothing else, I don't think nothing else would fit in into my life as it should. So um rule number one, you've got to enjoy it. Gotta
0: enjoy it. Yeah, nice. Do you think you do it for as long as you physically can?
2: mate i was talking to my son dexter he's 12 he's also a good competitor he said to me oh how long will you compete there i'm like as long as i can tie my own gear and my own belt up and i can get on the mat i'll get out there and i'll do it (laughs) nicely why why wouldn't you like like i know guys that i've got to go and do like crappy jobs and stuff and they work all day and they get to the gym broken backs and blistered hands and then they've got to train that's like mate like and i feel so guilty That these guys are having to really graft in shit jobs that I hate, and then they come into this environment that they love. You know that that I've created for them. I've created that environment. Something I'm hugely proud of—the mix of people and the 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 building and and the. uh, I'm I'm hugely proud of what we created, and I'm humbled that they want to come and spend their time with me. And I feel so guilty sometimes that, like, I don't even if someone said, "What do you do for a living?" I'm like, "Nothing really. I don't really do anything." You know, I've got, you know, I've got my business into a state where it kind of pretty much works without me, Mm -hmm. you know, so like I can kind of not be around and everything runs pretty smooth. And so uh, I never wanted jujitsu to be my, to be like an albatross around my neck. I needed to love it, you know, and if I was on, if I had to, if I, if I was a slave to it, I don't think I would enjoy it, but like. It I it's just a part of me wherever I go every day and uh I don't have to be anywhere at a certain time or do anything at a certain time. I've just got the the best life. But like I said, that life that dream job can become a
3: nightmare if you don't get that bad, that's right Yeah, no, I agree.
0: I was going to say, are you getting close to wrapping up? Because I've got one last question. I've got, well, haven't... we've got a
1: couple of questions. I've still okay. got these two in the lead cover. So, yeah, cool. Go, fire. No, shoot. I was just going to say, mate, Like, um, what sort of resources um, are out there that have been helping you on your journey? Or is there any you know, people that you want to shout out that have been instrumental in your journey to, to get to that top 10 in the world? Because it's not an easy process to come from where you've come just to get out of the gutters, let alone become... Point one of the key players in jiu-jitsu in the world, which is you know. So, is any any um, resources, books, websites, people that anybody out there watching this can go and find? You know what? I don't really like. Uh, I don't really watch instructional and stuff. I don't watch jiu-jitsu really. I watch matches. Have we, have we got a time limit? Have we got. A, have we... No, no, mate. No, no, no time limit because we're, we're off yeah. the RAM live. So, if people want to follow and watch the rest of this video, they've got a code to our actual page and watch it, which is good. Oh, cool, so, Cool. So, I um, yeah, I
2: I, uh, I don't really watch instructionals and stuff. I watch matches. I watch matches. So, like, uh, I've learned a lot of stuff from a lot of matches that I've watched. Uh, like, people that I would thank. I think my main training partner, really, is Trevor Chamberlain. We've been good buddies and training partners. We've trained daily for, you know, over 10 years now. Um, and he's always there for me when I need to up my training. doesn't matter whether he's sick, injured, tired, working nights. He's a fireman whatever is there for me to train, he's a, he's a fellow black belt. And Michael Atkinson also, is, uh, who I train with regularly, and he's uh, at Phoenix with us. Um, he's also a chiropractor, so he's, he's, he's hugely knowledgeable about the body, the human body, and uh, he gives me the most amazing advice. You know, if I'm struggling in any, in any aspect, he will, he will have an answer. And if I've got a technical problem that I'm struggling with, he'll have an answer. If I've got like a problem, an injury, he'll have an answer. So, like, I'm very lucky to have those guys around me to be able to do what I do. And also my coaches at my gyms as well, that they, you know, the, the classes that I would be teaching if I were here, they cover for me. And they don't ever moan or gripe about it. The guys are happy to support me in my journey. Um, again, hugely humbling because I'm sure there are other things that they could be doing that they'll get a lot of enjoyment from. Um, so I'm blessed to have such great people around me. And, but when we, when we opened Phoenix, like, I was really... I was really keen to get the right mix of coaches and there were lots of people that wanted the jobs that I didn't feel were right and there were lots of members who wanted to train with us that I didn't feel were right for us and back when we had 10 members and I was throwing three of them out my wife was pulling her hair out but I had to say, it's not the right mix we've got to get the right people and we didn't have like meatheads and we didn't have guys with massive egos I was very strict on who we allowed to train and those... Those white belts that started them and now our coaches, and they've come through uh, as like new guys, terrified of their first session, that are now teaching classes of 30 guys. Um, so like, uh, and those guys support me massively, and I, could, I literally couldn't do. And I think like, we're talking about resources. It's like you've got to have all your shit in order. You know, like if you want to go out and compete at a high level. You can't be worried about your your bills at home. You can't be worried about the school run. You can't be worried about your job, your business, your classes. You need all that shit taken care of. So you've got to have good people around you to, to take care of all that and, and not require a phone call for it to be taken care of. I've just got to go away knowing that it's done because I go away stressing about stuff. It's going to eat into my mind. It's going to eat into my preparation. It's going to eat into my performance. So you need to have... And I'm, I'm blessed to be surrounded by good people. These good people were once nervous white belts and they're now coaches you know that are, that are taking care of my business for me while I'm out of country
0: amazing yeah yeah and that's what we, we talked about that, I think on every single episode of this podcast I mean, get, yeah. getting the right people around you is key you know get rid of the the, uh, the takers and the morale vampires get people that are on the same page as you same values as you same morals as you same mission as you you know surround yourself with those people keep it tight Keep bit small and tight but you know it's a quality nucleus of, of people around you
2: yeah i think i've changed a little bit i was i think i was a, a closed book for many years i was very very quiet very very determined and always looked like i was in a bad mood but never was um and i like uh i kind of like as i have got older i've mellowed a little bit and i kind of talked to more people but you know getting the right people around you Again, like anything in life, you have to make your mistakes. You know, you have to make mistakes. And like, I'm 47 now and I think, I hope, I've made them all. But, <laughs> but, <laughs> but I'm blessed. I have such great people around us. Our coaches and in our gyms are just awesome.
1: Yeah, nice, and, mate. It's nice. good to hear. And it's
2: important that they're creating, the, they're continuing to create the environment that I set up in the, in, in initially. And my aspirations for the gym must be their aspirations. You know, I have to feel that they're creating uh, an extension of what, I, what, of what I want, essentially. It's not just like me, but it's, it's their interpretation of what I want. And it just has to be right for everyone, you know. Ultimately, it pays my bills and it, and it feeds my kids and stuff. So it's really, really important that, you know, we, we continue to grow. But, like, it's really, it's really interesting to watch the development of our team under our new coaches, it's it's great. It's they're still awesome. It's tight, and they're still great competitors and stuff. It just the the feelings sometimes are different, but always good. It's always positive, you know. Like, if you get the right people around you, whatever they put in the mix, is going to be beneficial.
0: I was just—I don't know if this is for later on or whatever—but I'll ask anyway. For somebody who's listening to this, who's never trained BJJ before, has um, zero martial arts experience. Um, what would you say to them, even if they were slightly considering, maybe one day, potentially, walking mm-hmm. past the gym and maybe venturing in to start mm-hmm. their BJJ journey? What would, what would be the best piece of advice that you give to that person?
2: Well, certainly, like, obviously, I'm biased because I'm an advocate of jujitsu, but I've done lots of other martial arts, and I've fought in lots of different styles, um, but settled with jujitsu ultimately, because I believe it's uh, um, the best for, for so many, for so many life skills and attributes, it's given, like, it gives you so much confidence. Mm. Like, when I came, when I, st- when I started training jujitsu, I actually felt like I was a real tough guy, and, you know, I'd had a lot of fights, and I felt hard, and, a lot of life experience and lots of training and I've got my ass handed to me and it was really humbling and um, it gave me loads of confidence because I was never one really to speak my mind and stuff and I always wanted my kids to to, to never have to succumb to peer pressure and have the, the confidence to, to say no to people, um, have the confidence to air their opinion um, without the fear of being um, Embarrassed for it because jujitsu, you know, aside from being uh, a physical confrontation, it gives you the confidence to verbalise your feelings a lot more. I think um, I certainly become much more confident at dealing with a problem verbally since I know since I learned jujitsu. Mm-hmm. Beforehand, it would probably escalate into a fight really quick, and right. so it would all go tits. But like. Uh, but now, like I never fight because I'm confident that I can verbalise myself, you know, in in a way that uh, deals with the problem quickly. So I never want my kids to start coming to pressure. So it's important to me that they all learn jujitsu. Um, uh, the self defence stuff is like self explanatory. It's obvious. Like it's if you can control someone in a way that you don't hurt them to nullify anyone that's trying to attack you. That's the best option. I mean, I know several guys, and I'm sure you guys do too. That are, been to prison because they've been in a street fight no one's fault everyone's pissed someone's got punched someone's headset the pavement, and someone's died and then so that guy's gone to jail for five, six seven years and his life's been wasted and his life's scarred by that, that that event which you know he might be a really decent guy and that was just an unfortunate situation uh, certainly in my experience i've come across these people had he known jiu-jitsu that wouldn't have been the case he'd have picked him up put him on his back knee on his uh, on his belly and said, uh, you know, I'm going to let you up when you calm down, man. And when you calm down, you can let him up. That's a great skill. It's a great skill to have to be able to dominate someone and not hurt them. Because ultimately, you know, we don't really want to hurt people unless you're a moron. Mm. You know, if you're a moron, don't don't do jujitsu. <laughs> don't
0: do jujitsu. <laughs> <Wait. laughs> just very quickly following on from that, you know, being you know, I'm only a blue belt, so I'm still at the beginning of my journey, but. I think a lot of people will agree that first six months, particularly even like you said, maybe being a tough guy coming from that kind of background, thinking that you're hard, that first six months is horrible because you do get battered by someone half your size, half your weight. You know, I I actually remember when you came down and I think it was Nathan I was training with and I was a bit knackered and I thought this would be easy because he looked a lot younger than he actually was. <laughs> I think he was 16 at the time. And... He had me in his guard and I put my hand down. And one of the things I was learning was about like posting up and and do it. So I did that and he, he looked at me in the eyes like the Terminator, right? And just sat <laughs> up and did this crunch. Like most people would just jerk their body up, right? Against that hand. And, had, and he, he looked me in the eyes and went, just sit up. And I'm like trying to push him down. Just sitting up. And I'm like, what the hell just happened? And he, and he whipped my ass. And I came away from that like, hang on, I'm a fully grown man. I was in the Marines and I've just been beaten by a 16-year-old. So it's frustrating, isn't it?
2: Yeah, it makes you frustrating.
0: I mean, what, what would be your words of wisdom for that? Because I think that's when a lot of people quit, don't they? Sorry? I think that period is when a lot of people quit. Yeah, it's hard. I mean, you're met of
2: guys that take, like, that train for their first month and they leave for a variety of reasons. One, because they... They love it so much. They overtrain, injure themselves, and it affects their work. And they realise, "I can't do this because so I need to work." And then, you get the other guys that uh, can't stand the um, the beatings that they get. I mean, it's not beatings like you're not you're not coming away, um, in, you know, bl- black and blue. Generally, you know, you, you know, it's, it's a physical sport. So sometimes you get bruised and battered. But but it's the constant grind. I mean, it's a grind, isn't it? That first six months, you feel like you've been put through a mincer. Mm. I mean, you, someone someone. Half your size can make you feel like crap. And then you look across the room and the guy who's 100 kilos is your next role. And it's like, it doesn't get any easier, you know? You've got to learn to lose. You've got to learn to lose. And I say this to all the time to to guys. Just just whatever happens, open your game. Doesn't matter if you tap five, ten, twenty, thirty times in 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 a session. It's irrelevant. Open your game be relaxed, try to become comfortable in uncomfortable positions and breathe and just try to move. Sometimes it's impossible when you can't move and you feel like you're going to have your arm ripped off and just tap and then you restart, you know. But I think guys who see training sessions as competition or they, they determine their level in the gym, those guys are usually, uh, um, they're usually, they're always misguided because that's not the right, right way to, to, to see your training your training should be open I don't care if I get submitted however many times in my training session it's my training session is about development and when I compete that's why it's important the training is it's not important whether I tap whether I tap somebody else 10, 20, 30 times so I think having that mindset it's okay to lose it's okay it's okay to get dominated it's okay to to get make a mistake and be punished for it because you know one day that you, you aren't always going to be the nail you're going to become the hammer And you know, then you know when someone comes along after you've been there for a couple of months. Suddenly we're like, wow! I actually know some stuff. You know, I've got some new guys in the room. I know some stuff. And so you've got to be patient. You've got to have or learn about humility as much as you can, because you're going to be forced fed it if you don't learn it. Mm -hmm. And um, and and just um, relax. It's okay to tap. It's okay to lose. Losing in the gym isn't losing. There's no such thing as losing in the gym. It's all about learning in the gym. Yeah, like, but if you go into the gym with this like, I've got to prove myself, then you won't develop. You won't develop. The guys that come in like blank canvases, like just teach me. I love these guys. You know, I've got. I, I teach a couple of private classes to people, and I only teach a few. And the guys that I teach are the guys that really, really want to learn. You know, guys that really, really want. To. If someone doesn't, I don't feel's got that desire. Then I'll, I'll pass them on to one of my friends and say, "Look, can you train this guy? I don't have the time." But I'll, get, I'll commit my time to the guys that that are, that. Does, these guys, doesn't matter how many times they tap. It's, if if every single day they do something or learn something that takes them one step closer to being a black belt, they've had a great day. Regardless of results on that day. They might have had their asses kicked for the entire morning, but they've learned something that's going to improve what they do. They've had a great day. Those are the guys that I love to train. The open books, the guys that are happy to just listen and learn. Um, I think the other thing that I would say is in in class with drip-fed information at the same rate as all the other classes. It's like being a kid in school. You'll get you'll get one kid that gets straight A's in the same class as the guy that's get, getting F's and G's, right? Because we all learn at different rates, and but usually, usually that's not always natural. I mean, there are guys with natural attributes. Some guys are stronger, faster, younger, whatever. But we've all got the ability to learn to some degree. And I think one of the best pieces of advice that I ever had that, that I would pass on would be to take responsibility for your training. You know How quick I learn is up to me. Like I can, We can do an arm bar in class and I'm thinking, I really want to work on my back takes. I hope at some point in the next six months the coach starts to talk about back takes. You're never going to um, progress at a rate that's going to meet your needs and you're never going to progress as a competitor working like that, you have to decide what you want to work on. Find someone that's going to help you with that. Like it might be someone in your class who's particularly good at it. You can say, man, can you do me a favor? Can you just help me out with this thing? Maybe 20 minutes after class or, or before class one day. You can use resources like books and videos and whatever. You can find uh, a jiu-jitsu fighter that you want to be like and you watch his matches. You do what he does and make, don't make the mistakes that he's made. Um, and and just take responsibility. Like, if two guys of equal size and athletic ability go into a go into a club, but one of them is really driving his uh, education as far as tradition is concerned, and the other one's just being drip fed information twice a week, this guy's going to develop at such a rate they'll be almost unrecognizable in six months. Mm-hmm. You would think that they were different belt levels. It can be huge. So, the one of the best pieces of advice I would give is is definitely Take responsibility for your, your, um, res- your training. And the last thing I would say is find a club that's right for you. Find a coach that's right for you. We're not. We don't all gel. We're, we're not all the same. Um, some schools have different practices. Some are very more, much more traditional. Some are a bit more laid back. And um, you might not like the character, or attitude of the coach. You just might not be your cup of tea. And you, it's not a, like a prison sentence. You haven't got a Fulfilled your time there. If you go to a couple of classes, you don't like it. Try somewhere else. Try somewhere else. Try five, six, seven clubs. You won't come back to the one that you liked. You try first of all, but try a few and make sure you get one that's a good fit for you. Otherwise, it's you know you won't develop quickly if you don't have some some sort of bond with the coach. If you don't have some kind of like you can't relate to the coach in some way, you'll you'll find it difficult to really develop at a good pace. You know, you get a coach that you you bounce off well you understand when he speaks, what he's saying, what he means and you feel comfortable to be able to go and ask him questions and, and take instruction from him. I think that's key. So just try try as many clubs as you want. It, it, don't ever feel bad about not trying different places. It's okay. you know. Just go and find one that's a good fit. Yeah, awesome. Nice
0: good mate. advice. Good advice. Yeah, nice.
1: um, we've got one one more question. Okay. Uh, what, your favourite fighter? You did mention again uh, at the beginning of this podcast but if you can just sort of reiterate your favourite fighter for us again,
2: um, it's a difficult one, really, because like um, I'm so indecisive. I'm, I'm the same in restaurants. Like, which dessert should I have? I'll just have two. So, if I could have like um, like in UK, I like in the UK when, when I was coming through, I found Nick Brooks to be hugely influential. Great coach, great competitor, great guy. He was very generous with his time with me, and he didn't know me from Adam. I trained with him lots. I wasn't a member of his team, but he was very open. and uh, I loved watching him compete at the Europeans and stuff. I uh, won it many times, and um, I was always a very big fan of Nick, and always Dickie, Dickie Martin also, uh, who's a um, Pan Ams champion, World Masters champion, and absolute champion. He's achieved more, I think, in the Masters than anyone else in the UK. Dickie was hugely influential as a competitor, as a coach. Um, I think if we, like, of all time ever, I think, I'd say Galval. Um, like, I was for- I'm fortunate enough to have been given my black belt from Terraré, who was like my idol. Um, and going-, going to Suzuka Tennis Club in Rio with him, and the whole crowd is chanting his name, was an ex- experience that was like, so memorable. And if, and like, regardless of whoever I could get my black belt off, he's the guy that would want it off, you know. I'm so proud I've achieved that with him. Um, I, I like Galvao, I think, because he's, uh, he's, everything he does, he does perfect. You know, he's, his preparation is always perfect. He's, he never lets himself down. You know, he's such a, such a great competitor the risk and reward we were talking about, talking about earlier, you know, he's got that nailed. Mm-hmm. He's got that nailed. You know, he knows just how much he needs to risk. He does just what he needs to do and then makes you work for the rest. You know, he'll get, he'll get he always likes to finish. He likes to take the back um, and he's, uh, he's so inspirational. I'm, I'm again, blessed to have um, toured with him. I toured with him a, a few years ago and learned a lot from him. I've had him at my gym and trained with him in America and spent a bit of time with him. I'm very grateful to have done that. So I think probably probably Galval, if I had to choose. I hate choosing, but if I had to choose. And then like someone like Jeff Glover, who's like the opposite of Galval, who's like, Galval's a winner. He's like a 100% winner, you know? He's an absolute winner. But Jeff Glover is about the art. He loves to be creative. He loves to try new stuff. He loves to just play. He could lose a match and come off with a bigger smile than he would have had had he won it. If even if, if he was creative, you know. So I really love that aspect. I'm not sure at the highest level how what, what that balance is between creativity and becoming the absolute best. Because if you wander off the perfect path too much, I think maybe you lose something a little bit. But I love watching Jeff and I love uh, listening to him talk and stuff. But if I had to choose, if you forced me to choose, you twist my arm, Galvan
1: nice <laughs> <laughs> <Love it. laughs> look mate we, we're gonna finish up there um, I just want to say uh, mate it's been amazing and I've literally probably been the best hour and 28 minutes I've had for a long time listening to you talk and um, sharing your experiences and coming from a broken family background to becoming the man that you are now family man fighter businessman uh, yeah I'm just I'm in awe mate
0: genuinely
3: yeah, well,
0: thanks. great to It's um, it, well, we haven't spoken for a long time, mate, so it's, it's good to see you first of all, and secondly, mate, just to reiterate what Ben said, mate, thank you for doing off being our first podcast that you've ever done, yeah, um, and being so open and honest and
1: almost exclusive, yeah, <laughs> mate, honestly, it's brilliant, yeah,
0: it, genuinely,
3: yeah, no,
2: God, fun. thanks. Um, it's been a pleasure and great to see you both again, and look forward to sharing a map with you guys again soon.
1: Yes, as soon as this lockdown's over we'll see you back at Limston for a bit of a real meet up that'll be lush awesome cheers guys cheers
2: mate
1: thank Thanks. you very much Jimmy cheers to me take cheers.
0: it easy bye bye damn what a story um, like I said at the beginning I, I didn't know Jimmy's whole backstory but I'm sure you'll agree it's incredible coming from where he came from you know, the struggles he had, the fights he had, the battles he had to get to where he is now and to do the things that he does now. He literally travels the world now training, competing and uh, teaching jujitsu. and he's made a living of it. He's made a life for his family and uh, he's just an incredibly inspiring person. Guys, thanks as always for your support with the podcast and with everything that I do. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it, with anyone that you think could benefit from listening to it as always i'm on all the social media channels instagram twitter facebook if you want to connect if you want to link up um, am trying now a little bit more to push my youtube channel so putting a bit more content out on there so if you use youtube i'd love it if you'd subscribe to my channel at Mark Ormrod. until the next time guys thanks as always